What's going on, everybody? This is your host, BJ Parker, and this is the Making the Turn Podcast. What's going on, everybody? What's happening? Welcome back to another episode of Making the Turn. I am your host, BJ Parker, and we got a special one for you today. I got Mr. Zach Radford with me. How you doing, man? Doing very well. Really appreciate you having me on. Man, I appreciate you uh, being here. Um, if this cat doesn't distract me, I'm going <laughs> to really make it through this, all right? But, man, it's it's a pleasure to have you. I appreciate you doing this, and um, we're going to have some fun, man, and uh, I, you know, want to get into your story want to I don't know how many people out there know you but you know not as many people know me but we're trying to get you um just some exposure here I want to talk about your life and some of the things that you've been exposed to golf our side of the business and we're just gonna have a little fun with it man sounds great but for for starters for people that don't know who you are that are just in a hole somewhere not seeing those videos on the uh social media just give a little background I I, I did a little bit of homeworks and we talked prior to coming on but uh, just give everybody a little bit of background you don't have to go into great detail because we'll we'll dive into some of that but just tell everybody about yourself yeah well like you said uh, my name is Zach Radford I have played professional golf uh, through the years and started kind of getting into social social media a couple of years back and hold on it was kind of echoing yeah go ahead we're, we're good okay I can edit that out okay. if I need to. You want me to just start? No, you're good. Go ahead. Got into social media a few years back and really just enjoyed promoting the game of golf through the use of different platforms and getting the younger generation excited, picking up the club for a first time. Um, and so started doing that a couple years back and that has kind of led me to take a small step away from competition. I did play in a few events last year. I believe it was five. Played well in a couple, not so well in a couple, and okay in one. Yeah. But so it was a little all over the board there. But definitely the dream is to get back to playing in competition. I'm hoping this summer will be kind of the first steps in getting back into full-time competition. With that being said, I am native Tennessean since high school, but did grow up in Texas and uh, graduated from the University of Tennessee in 2009. All right. Well, um, so you played golf in college, right? I did not. You did not. So, so how did you get involved in golf? So when I was fairly young, my grandpa and grandma lived on a golf course. He'd take me out there and just I would go look for golf balls in the ponds and never really played. I grew up playing baseball, played at a fairly high level in baseball, and honestly didn't have a whole lot of interest in golf growing up. And then one day he let me hit a golf ball and felt pretty good and yeah. hit it decent. It was an 11 wood, I think. It was the first oh, club I ever remember hitting. That's old school right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... That, that was the first club I ever remember hitting. I might have made a swing prior to that, but that was my first memory. And uh, didn't really get back into golf until later into high school. And that's when I kind of stepped away from baseball, started focusing on golf, improved fairly quickly. By my junior year, I was actually the number one golfer on my high school team and same for senior year. However, I had gotten into golf a little later and didn't really have anywhere that was looking at me uh, to play in college and wanted to go to Tennessee, wanted to walk on, just didn't quite work out. Uh, so ended up just going to school there for four years. Honestly, left my clubs at home, yeah. didn't even play golf for four years. And then I graduated and ended up taking one year just to see how good I could get. I was probably 10, 12, 13 handicaps, somewhere in there when I graduated waited tables at night to pay the bills and was out there every morning and afternoon until I had to go into work practicing, honing the game to see how good I could get. And by the end of that year, I believe my handicap was a plus 6.2 uh, on the Gen Handicap Index. So 
about a 18 shot swing. I, I saw that when I was um, researching you doing my homework and I couldn't believe that. I mean, I know it's possible and I, and you know, you, you look athletic. I mean, and, and being a baseball player, there's certain natural things that go with baseball and golf swings. So I'm interested to find out what exactly you did. What was the days like for you? I, I mean, obviously it was a lot of practice and playing, but, um, you know, talk a little bit about that from going from a, just a 12 handicap or, or, a, you know, a low teens handicapper to a, I mean, basically a professional at that point. Yeah. So when I first started, I honestly had no direction. I was just <laughs> going out there, just banging balls on the so, range. So you didn't have a teacher. You just did this all on your own. I did. I was out there by myself. Uh, I did have a few people that I knew that were uh, well-versed on the golf swing, and I may bounce some thoughts off of them. Um, but no instructor then, and just was out there practicing a ton. And that did help me learn my own game right? because I didn't really have an outside influence trying to mold me into a specific uh, look or, or feel. So I was out there just trying to figure out how to get the ball in the hole. And I, during that time, Tiger Woods obviously was playing some good golf back then. And I loved his stinger shot. And so I would just go out there on the driving range and just try to hit these stingers for hours. So is that where the videos came from on, on the, on the gram? As, that, they, as the young kids call it. That is kind of where the beginning of being able to hit those shots that yeah. uh, several years later ended up on the gram. Uh, that was kind of how I learned how to really play golf and shape the ball. Right. I would sit there and I'd be like, okay, this one, I want to hit this as low as I possibly can. And then I want to hit this as high as I possibly can and then curve it. And then I would actually do this drill with one of my buddies and this is whenever I really started, I'm a huge field player. We'd get out there and he just had to complete saying the type of shot he wanted to hit before I paused in the backswing. And I would just sit there for uh, 10, 20, 30 in a row, hitting the exact shot that he wanted right before my transition. Yeah. He's telling me what shot he wants. I'm not recommending that necessarily. But for That's me, talent, though. that honed my feel for shaping shots. Yeah. And uh, that just kind of instilled a feel that I probably wouldn't have gotten going to an instructor once a week, just trying to perfect my swing. Yeah. That being said, I am not recommending to not have an instructor. Right. Because I do think that I would have uh, been more consistent if I would have had an instructor. Because my good days were really good, yep. but my bad days could be really bad back then. I could shoot 64, 84 <laughs> and back-to-back rounds. Yeah. Um, but it did teach me a lot. Um, just feel with the hands, hand-eye coordination, uh, creativity around the golf course. And then I got to play with uh, Brant Snedeker and around... I don't remember the exact time, but got to play around with him. And he told me something on his putting uh, that I really appreciated. Basically, he just focused practicing inside of six feet. Uh, I know he does some other things, but right. he's one of the best putters in the world. He is. Honestly, in, in my era, I, there's really not many people who can putt it better than him. So I really took seriously what he was telling me. And he told me a few things and so I would go out there for three four five six hours a day and just practice inside six feet yeah and then all of a sudden my putting got better uh, and that's when the scores actually really started improving uh, I, I could hit it well but I never made putts but then when the putts started falling that's when I thought well you know professional golf I, I know what the guys are shooting I've played with a few guys who've been there before and thought that you know I saw my ability about at the same level, yeah. um, but that did not directly translate into competition right away. <laughs> Never does. I, I One of the things that I learned, and as we told you before uh, we came on, you know, I played, I got some skill. I played college golf and, and, you know, I learned pretty early that 
it was the idea of getting the ball in the hole was the thing to do. So I kind of thought backwards about it. I needed to be a really good putter and a short game player. Because, I, I mean, I could hit it. I mean, there's not a lot of difference with the guys that I played with distance-wise or, you know, you miss a fairway here or there, just get it around the green. But the idea was to get the ball in the hole. And so I learned I, – I, I put more effort into practicing putting, chipping, short game, bunker work. And that drove my coaches crazy. You know, they didn't understand why I wasn't banging drivers on the – you know, and trying to hit shots. I'm like, man, that, that's not – that's not everything. I mean, I'm going to spend half my time on the golf course on or in and around the greens. And so I, to your point, I mean, that, you know, just working on that and being really good. That's what to me, just from a visual and some someone who has a little bit of experience, the guys on TV, I know they're really good at hitting the ball. But the ga- the guys who win consistently put the ball in the hole. I mean, with regular, I mean, consistency, making long putts, chipping up and down. It's just amazing to me. They're they're unbelievably talented. That is for sure. Yeah. So I ended up kind of incorporating a rule for me. So for every hour that I would hit on the driving range, practicing full shots through driver, I would practice four hours inside of 50 yards. So if, if I was struggling with my swing and I needed to spend an hour on my swing and things like that, I would go spend four hours directly after inside of 50 yards. And that's really where the the strokes started coming off and um, worked really hard on my bunker game that summer during that year. Honestly, I was the worst bunker player you've ever seen in your life. I, the fear when I would (laughs) step foot into a bunker was almost insurmountable. And so for, I think it was about three months, literally every single day I spent two hours in the bunker no matter what before I did anything else yeah and I went from probably the worst bunker player you've ever seen to playing with buddies out of my course and it kind of became a joke that they would rather me be putting than in the bunker because I I would have rounds where I'd hole out two or three times out of a bunker yeah um and things like that uh I just got so confident out of the bunker. Attribute that to a lot of hard work. Sure. Uh, however, it's the mentality that changed. I had so much fear in the bunker yeah. before to having no fear and a ton of confidence. I did gain that through a lot of practice, but I always tell people, have no fear in the bunker. Yeah. Whenever someone tells me that they're not a good bunker player, it's like, well, let's go spend a little time in it and have no fear because the people who normally aren't good bunker players will decelerate, they'll raise up, and that comes from lack of confidence, right. having fear. And so that's typically what I would encourage someone. Go in there, and it's okay to hit bad ones when you're practicing. So just learn to have no fear, have you know light forearms, tension-free forearms, because people want to tense up. Sure. And so those are some of the things that I really worked on, and that's what helped to improve that aspect of the game you got to have a short memory with in this in golf for sure so where where are you in terms of golf where are you now I mean um I know we talked a little bit but um so what what are you where are you you, your pursuit of the being a professional where are you as far as practicing what do you do what do you got uh coming up so talk a little bit about that yeah so like I said I did step away from the competition for a period of time I'm looking at kind of beginning of the summer to get back into some competitive rounds sure. I'll probably be playing in the Tennessee State Open um, not quite sure yet but probably do the money qualifier for the web.com here in Nashville I'll do some things close to home maybe a few state opens handful of Monday qualifiers but I've never had the opportunity to do Q school mm-hmm. and I would like to at the end of the year be able to do Q school if the finances line up for that So that's kind of a little outline. The social media and with everything there, that has taken a lot of time through the winter. Uh, So hadn't been able to be down south practicing in warmer weather. Weather here has not been great this winter, so has made it a little tougher on consistent practice. But I've been getting out there. If you've been watching my YouTubes, uh, it's been cold, but I've been out there. Yeah. Well, I... um 
I know this podcast, I wanted to, I don't know where it's going to end up going, but I want it to be larger than just Middle Tennessee. But I know uh, one of the reasons why I reached out to you was because you are from Middle Tennessee. You, I wanted a, a different perspective on what what I do in, in terms of the business. And so, and, and I know where you play at Nashville Golf and Athletic. That's where you said your home course was. And Alex does a great job out there. Talk a little bit about the course, um, some of the things that you see, um, you know, anything that you can take away from it and, and not necessarily dive too deep into the, you know, the conditions or whatever, but just, you know, talk a little, let's try to keep this to a little central uh, Tennessee uh, and talk and talk about the course and some of the things you see uh, maybe out there or some of the other courses that you play. Yeah. So kind of to start someone who would be a superintendent, the thing that I always kind of feel bad for them is they're never talked about unless something's going wrong with the conditions of the course, which Man, I, we could end the pod right there. <laughs> and, and that is like awful yeah. to, to have that uh, kind of at the forefront of what everyone would view a superintendent as instead of focusing on, you know, what they're doing well. And I mean, this even goes back to just golf, just the mentality of it. Cause like at my home course, there's so many things he's doing well and we get a flood. There's nothing you can do about that. Sure. And so, and yeah, just across the board, when I've gone to many different tournaments, uh, there's many things at the course that are phenomenal, great shape. And one thing here, one thing there that the players don't care for, that's going to be picked out and that's going to be talked about. And it's the superintendent's yeah. fault when maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but all that to be said, that's where I really feel bad for the superintendents. They pretty much only get talked about when there's something negative to talk about instead of what they really do day in and day out very well, because it is a very difficult job and you are dependent quite a bit on the weather. You can plan for things. You can plan to overseed yeah. and hope the weather's right the next fall and couple weeks. You can plan to do certain things and, if the weather doesn't cooperate, it, it is really tough. So yeah. I have all the respect for all the superintendents out there. So have you have you had much interaction with guys on our side of the business, superintendents? Have you spoken to Alex or have you had an opportunity to do that? I, very briefly. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I, I don't have a, a big relationship with Alex, but he's doing a phenomenal job out there. Yeah. I mean, the course – has just come leaps we're gonna get you on alex one day too so definitely definitely need to get him on yeah so but yeah um i I, through the years i've gotten to speak with a handful at different courses uh i used to live down in san antonio from time to time uh did know some of the guys there and that was at fair oaks ranch just north of san antonio outside of bernie um and so it's very neat to get to talk to the different superintendents because depending on where you are in the country really where you are in the world every course is different every all terrain is different the different areas the climates grasses and so it's really uh, neat and fascinates me to learn about all the differences and how in one area that something works very well really would be a negative in another area yeah. um, and you know way more about that than <laughs> I do that's just from from the outside looking in what well, so I'll talk I'll ask you a little bit about some perspectives that we don't necessarily get and I'm glad to have you on here to talk about it but in our area we we consider this area I don't know if you've heard the term the transition zone and that that sort of designates a particular area climate that we're in and it sort of stretches from say north georgia alabama to southern kentucky and this is like band and as you probably noticed, we have maybe bent grass greens at one course, Bermuda greens at another, you know, and they're all different types and different varieties we won't go into. Um, but from your perspective, have you played a bunch of different green types and what do you find different when you play those? And not necessarily uh, a condition necessarily, but do you notice a difference? Uh, do you have some sort of mentality about going from one course to another do you you have any thoughts or perspectives on that or does that ever affect you at all yeah not not particularly um for my game firmer the course the better typically 
I create a lot of spin, so uh, if the greens are firm, I, I typically like that. My score in relation to par is normally going to be better against the field than it is in very soft conditions. Sure. Um, now, as far as uh, greens, so through the years, the more that I've played in competition, the more I've been around golf, I used to only want to putt on bent grass greens. But now some of the new Bermuda that's coming out, uh, and this is something you can fill me in sure. more, Be happy but to. the grain doesn't play as much as it used to. Um, and the consistency of the roll on Bermuda greens now with some of the newer strands of grass is unbelievable. And I like the firmer conditions because, well, now you can fix spike marks. Yeah before this year playing on bent and you're playing in a professional event and you can't fix these spike marks that are right in front of you on this three foot putt and you're putting and there's money on the line and bent grass greens are typically going to be softer especially if there's any kind of rain and those greens would just get so tracked up the bermuda greens would hold hold their um truer line just because they're typically firmer and so that's just from kind of a viewpoint of playing competitively. I ended up here in the last several years rather play on Bermuda greens than bent grass greens in competition. I have an opinion. I don't know if it's everybody's opinion. And I and from from my perspective, having taken care of both, I've managed both. I've took uh, you know spent a lot of time on both and played it. I would say this in general that if if the if if you take the best of both, that ideally bent grass is probably a touch better in terms of roll and consistency and if it's firmness. I'm throwing all those factors out, but just you take the very best greens of bent and the very best greens of Bermuda. I would say bent, in my opinion, is a little better. That being said, there's some really darn good Bermuda, and I managed it and and could really put it up against any other grass or, or green anywhere. And... I'll, I'll I'll say this. There's a lot of people that talk about the grain and, you know, while it's a different type of grass and it does grow in a different way altogether, the techniques and the, and the procedures and the different cultural practices that superintendents use, they basically eliminate that. And it, and you know, and you touched on it. It, it, it doesn't really play a factor. You might have a slower uphill putt, but that's, that's going to happen on the bent grass scheme as well as a, you know, a faster downhill putt side hills and all this, what you get a lot of times is just, you know, maybe late in the day, side hill putt, may, you may be affected, you know. There's a lot of little things that you hear a lot more people talk about it on TV. They probably don't really know what they're talking about. They're just saying it. But I would say that I wouldn't blame a missed putt on a Bermuda because of the grain. Of the grain. Uh, that's just my perspective because they're just, I mean, they're doing so much to kind of work that grass and, and it's such a dense type plant it, and it rolls really true. So, I mean, I don't know if that's something you notice, but that's be my, my two cents worth. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And that's not to say that I don't like bent because I've played on some bent grass grains that all of my better events that I've played in excluding maybe one or two were always on bent greens, but they were firm and fast. There was one time I'm playing in an event and, uh, just over the river. So it was in South Carolina, I think Mount vintage plantation, something like that. It was shout out to them. Not, not familiar with them though. (laughs) Yeah. North Augusta. Yeah. And I'm warming up and I'm over on the chipping green and couple of the groundskeepers were were there next to the green and I heard them talking and they were kind of laughing they were like I don't know about these greens today and so I just briefly overheard a little bit of it he's like I've never seen them this fast oh no and I was like oh and we're having like 30 to 35 mile an hour gusts too yeah and he goes yeah I just stumped seven at 14 two and I was like huh <laughs> and he's and so I asked him a question. He's like, "Yeah, I've I've never seen him this fast." I went out there. Needless to say, I it was defensive golf. Sure. Um, through some uh, weather conditions, I ended up having to play about thirty holes uh, in the 
the second day because uh, we didn't get it all in the first day. And I'm out there, and I watched a guy nine putt. And I kid you not, didn't even hit about butt. The ball wouldn't settle around the hole right. within five feet. And I'm talking on flat, completely flat surface. So if there was any slope, there was one part three that you had to make an eight-footer. That was it. Yeah. You had to make an eight-footer or you weren't leaving the hole. <laughs> and so – Surprised they didn't shut it down. It was very borderline. Yeah. Needless to say, I played very conservative – uh, on the greens and actually was leading that event going into the weekend. That was back when the Hooters tour was a wow, big that's, tour. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a while ago. And so that that was a while <laughs> ago. But that being said, that was bent. I played another course that had bent greens and played well when they were rolling, uh, I think, just over 13. 14 plus, I will say the average golfer may not quite have a concept of what 14 plus is. The heck, is. the average golfer, the, you'd have trouble with that, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it was it was quite an experience. It was fun, yeah. um, and I and I putted actually really well because uh, I was like, well, I'm, I'm putting well. All you have to do is get it online, and the ball's never going to stop. So just get it online, and it'll, it'll fall in. We used to have members, I won't say any names, but it would always, always say, get them faster, get them faster. Until it comes around to the club championship or someday when they're just lightning fast, dry conditions, and nobody can do anything. And you're like, okay, see what you, – you asked for it. <laughs> Here right. you go. Yeah, that's, it's always funny with the, with the green speeds. I mean, for normal daily play, man, anything – I mean, anything above 10 and a half, 11 is just crazy for average hand. I mean, just what's the national average like? 18 i mean it's got to be within you know somewhere in that upper teens and i mean they just can't they can't finish on a normal women if we're trying to grow the game that's just not the way to do it in my opinion you know we need we need we need good fun greens that they can get around and not beat themselves up on i i agree completely and and i do think it is a course by course because if you take for example nashville golf has some very undulated greens and spots and depending on where you put a flag position you can you could feel like the greens are rolling 12s that day when they're actually rolling 10 but then you could have some pins in some other locations that you think the greens are rolling eights and they're actually rolling tens and then on some flatter course screens that are rolling you know 11 you may think they're rolling eight because the course you typically play on has a lot more undulation. Putts are going to roll out more depending on where you are yeah. on the green. So I think there is also a misconception that like 10 is just a feel that everyone knows. But I think it goes course by course to some extent. I mean, it is a general rule or a general uh, number, but course by course, 10s at one course could be much faster feeling i don't know is that no, I, something I, i'm making up no i definitely agree with you and it goes to um the conditions of the green how they're built um what what amount of slope i mean you at brentwood for set for instance we we you know the relatively flat a lot of not a lot of movement um you know anything 11 or 12 was fine i mean people enjoyed it and it was it was it was more of a difficult challenge to get 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 them higher than that because you know for special events or whatever but like nashville golf or hillwood or golf club or some of these other you know any of them that you know you're right course by course you have to take what 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 your membership and what your clientele can handle and it may be one course is 10 another one's 11 you know so it's all over the board i mean heck you could go from green to green on a particular course and i know that may be the case out there at nashville golf is like you know you may feel like all, but that's the challenge is like every green you want it to be a consistent speed but every climate's different and every green every you got something going on you got different slopes and so one green might feel like or you might remember back well I had this putt it's similar to this one and it may be completely two different speeds based on some factor that you're just not even thinking about and that happens yeah for sure I mean you know so Let's talk about this uh, social media stuff for a little bit. We talked a lot about our golf. So uh, I won't, for those that don't know, I mean, you got you got a pretty good following. You you've got you sort of popped on the scene with some of these videos we touched on earlier. These stinger videos. Was there one video that that um, that sort of set it off, or was it a was it a 
a thought process? Did you sort of map that out or how did that sort of come about? Um, and sort of what are you doing now in terms of, you know, kind of carrying that forward? Yeah. Um, there was one video that kind of started it. I didn't see a ton of growth necessarily from that one video. It was a consistency over time, but the one video was a putt out of the golf club of Tennessee on the practice screen around that little bunker. I remember that. Yeah. And I thought, I'll just post this up and see what happens. And I putted from like one corner of it all the way wrapped around the bunker. Yep. Went in, me and my buddy uh, Hunter were out there practicing and we both were just kind of going to take turns until we both made it. And we ended up both making it, but that was the putt that ended up getting on ESPN and several other platforms. And then I actually reposted it up a year later and it got on ESPN again <laughs> and even on more platforms the next time. So I guess I'm going to try it again this year. Yeah. Just keep posting it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was fun. And so that one led to me creating more videos because I actually start, started out with photography, doing photos, kind of unique photos and very colorful, kind of different percep- um, different angles and things like that that right. you didn't typically see in a golf photo. And so that's kind of what got started and then on to the videos. And it's kind of tough once your content gets out there, but in the last calendar year, I, my gauge is somewhere around a billion views across all platforms from original content. You said a billion, a billion. Yes, wow. Sir. That's awesome. So <laughs> not once it gets out, it's tough to tabulate all the yeah, numbers because sure. I'll have people sending me screenshots from some platform that I'm not even on that just has 14 million views and yeah. things like that. Um, and a lot of my videos have been in collaboration with a kid in Kansas, Garrett Clark. His is GM Golf is his account. Kid has more talent. His hand-eye coordination is unbelievable. So we do a bunch of videos together. And so that's been fun uh, getting to collaborate with several other people within the golf community. And uh, But yeah, so how I'm going about it now... I didn't really have a direction back then when all that kind of started happening and really started seeing that stretching onto platforms where golf wasn't being viewed and getting golf in front of people who would typically never think about viewing something golf related. That in turn started getting people to send me DMs commenting about them picking up the game for the first time. And that got me really excited seeing where media was going, the direction of where media as a whole was going. We could connect to non-golfers and first-time generation golfers. And that's where I really want golf to start focusing on is the first-time generation golfer. Because if we just promote to current golfers, it will be on a decline from year to year because you're not going to have 100% return. And so we need to really start focusing on promoting to those first generation golfers. And that's when we can really start to grow the game. That's what I started noticing through the content. And that got me really excited. And I wanted to just kind of continue down that road. And so been able to consult and create content for different brands and companies uh, through the years and just kind of continue doing my own platforms and promoting the game of golf through that. And that's kind of where we are today and uh, kind of branching into a handful of other platforms with YouTube and doing some stuff on TikTok and just wanting to stay current with where the uh, kind of where, where I see golf needing to be. Yeah. I kind of want to step out there uh, before where everyone else does. Although YouTube, I'm a little behind the times. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you never know. I think you might be way ahead of it. Um, I watched a, uh, when I was doing my research on you, I watched a YouTube video of, I think you played two balls uh, out at Nashville Golf and Athletic. It was one of your recent videos where you played two balls. One you were going to play conservative and one you were going to play aggressive. And and um, 
I think the, that type of content was great. I mean, um, you know, it was you shoot everything yourself. I, I mean, do. You don't have anybody that's with you, do you? There were there have been two videos that I had someone with me, but all the rest I'm shooting myself, and it does take a little while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. I mean, I I see. And I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but I, I see um, a lot of girls on the Instagram golfing. Uh, is that big? I mean, is that like it's pretty prevalent? I mean, there's a lot more young females and, and girls that are doing it. They may not even be professionals, but they love the game. They're in, around it. And, um, you know, I don't see many guys like yourself as much. I mean, you you stand out as one of and, and you and is his name Garrett? I'm, Garrett. Um, yeah. I mean, I've seen some of his videos and and but. Uh, talk a little bit about that, and 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 I think you're dead on. I mean, you don't have to convince me to play golf. I love it, and I enjoy your videos, and I enjoy watching them, and and I'll continue to do that. And but I see the content for these these the girls in particular, and you guys just making it fun and just wanting to do things and get out there and and sort of growing it from a perspective. I mean, I think Top Golf has a little bit of that. There's just a different perspective around it than in just this old stuffy game that costs a lot of money and you know, it's still hard to get to to get people to play because of some factors, you know, whether it be being a member or the lack of tee times, but I think the content that you're doing along with some of the other things I see is phenomenal and so talk a little bit about that and what you think of that and how that's is there is there any ways um, you've had people reach out to you I know um, and sort of be able to touch them and talk to them and say they're going to go out and and play so I'm rambling but talk a little bit about that and just what uh, you see going on yeah so one one of the the major things that I'm seeing going on especially with the younger generation but really everyone as a whole people are making decisions more than ever based on social media interactions yeah and if someone is following someone they feel kind of a part of their life i mean they're viewing typically almost daily content and so they really feel involved with that and so being able to promote something in a positive way through your your channels is really uh, able to grow the game in in a direction of um, that that golf's never really been in. I'm I'm trying to. I had a good thought there, but that's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so growing the game through through the different platforms and seeing who all's on there currently and and where the main uh, like top golf and and what roles that they're playing currently. I think Top Golf's phenomenal. Uh, th- however, there is, and this is just my opinion and kind of how I see it, there's a, still a disconnect from getting someone from Top Golf onto the golf course. Oh, I would agree. And so, the, and, and I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Yep. I'm just saying that there, for some reason, there's a disconnect. We're, we're not converting those people to a golfer right um but it's great they're getting golf clubs in people's hands who would never have a golf club in their hand so and i and i don't at this time have an exact idea on how we can convert those uh first-time golfers at top golf to real first-time golfers on the golf course so there's something there and and i don't think that that they're far off and but i do notice a little disconnect and I uh, really like all the people over at Top Golf. Actually, competed in the Top Golf Tour finals this past year. Made it down to the final four. We lost in the semifinals, but it was fun. Me and me, and my partner. Oh yeah. So we we could see the finish line, just didn't didn't <laughs> quite quite make it. It was a lot of fun though. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, I bet it was. I, I'm. I. I think that Top Golf has been phenomenal for golf. I, I bet they probably take surveys and different things and and sort of have a some idea of the demographic of guys and gals that come there. But you're right. I mean, I would say this: if they convert one person, that's better than none. And Absolutely. I'm sure they're converting somebody. So, I mean, it's just a matter of um, you know just get like you said, putting clubs in people's hands and and uh, getting out there and playing. It's a different feel altogether. It's a vibe. It's fun and you know it but you know, like like i said i mean sometimes it's just that's what you need you need you need something to change for people to pick up the game again because they're not building golf courses like they used to 
um, golf is struggling to stay afloat with the amount of golfers sort of staying stagnant. And so, but it's a great game and it's good for people to play well into their life. And so I think any way we can grow it and, and make people want to come out and do that is a, is a good thing. And, you know, I, I wonder if, if you get people that reach out to you on DMs or, you know, hit you up and say, you know, um, do you get people that like you want to, not necessarily coach, but are, are, you know, work with you or is that, does that ever happen for you? I mean, maybe it's a young kid or something like that that just fires you a, a, a shout out or whatever. Do you get that happening to you? Yeah, I actually do fairly often. Yeah. Uh, I did teach a little while back, several years back, but it, it is something that I've thought about. Um, but currently if I am going to try to get back into competition it's very difficult to teach and focus on your own game at the same time yeah I, I did try that for a period of time and it's not that you can't play well but it does get difficult to yeah. kind of decipher your own game away from what you've been telling these four or five six other people leading up to your two-hour practice time at the end of the day after <laughs> after you've been coaching so but I do love coaching like that that was so fun to me watching it was pretty much just high school kids yeah. uh, that were wanting to play in college and so getting them from high school into college uh, on a scholarship uh, that was kind of the goal of, of what we were doing there and so I really enjoyed that loved that uh, aspect of golf and and watching these kids uh, games kind of transform through high school uh, to become extremely good players sure so that that was very enjoyable really love that and yes I do have several reaching out I'm trying to figure out a way to maybe do that a little bit maybe having some camps through the summer yeah. kind of thing so th there's some thought there um, and I would actually kind of partner with my friend Mike Bury who's an instructor he's one of Golf Digest top young instructors down in Dallas we're very good friends and so that would be something me and him would probably work together on yeah and so that's definitely a possibility for the future and i i love that so yeah that would definitely be something of interest i think that's kind of like me i mean you want to help you want to give back you want to do things for others but you've got your own agenda and you've got things that keep your time and so it becomes a matter of choices at that point what you know you've got a dream of being a professional golfer how much can you dedicate to teaching, but you also have that passion to want to help just one person. So, I mean, that's the same with me. I want, you know, the guy, it, it, this may not be something that you're uh, truly aware of, but, you know, superintendents, we, we're not competitors. Like my course doesn't want to beat your course. I mean, we compete for the same golfers and we compete for the same clients and we want members just like everybody else, but we want, that guy to, to do well we want we whatever we can do to help them we'll help them if they need a piece of equipment we they need some expertise you know whatever and so that's kind of what we do as a as a as a community is just say hey what can we do to help you guys and and the disconnect has always been from the pro side to the superintendent side and, and not it's not every situation but there's a lot that goes on there that's a dynamic that's hard to sort of dive into probably take a whole nother podcast on just talking about what goes on, but you know, taking care of a golf course and then actually dealing with the members and having people kind of sort of come out. So that's a roundabout way of saying that, you know, we want to, we want to help people. I want to help people. And, and, you know, and so that's, you know, that's a big of you. And I think that that, but it takes away from your time. It takes away from the things that you're passionate about and want to get to. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely something that I really enjoyed doing uh, several years back. And, um, I, I do have a question for you and this kind of goes to the growing the game and that, um, so what are your thoughts on building more nine hole courses? Uh, 100% agree. Yes. And I would say that I'll take it one step further that golf has become, uh, more of a family deal. It's more of it takes a lot of time to go play uh, 18 holes. Men are typically not wanting to spend that much time away from their family, um, or they want to take their wife and kids and, and go and play. 
and that's just not inviting for them to do that at necessarily at their local club or wherever. And there's no facilities like that. Uh, I, we take care of a facility over at Harpeth Valley in, in Bellevue and it's a par three, uh, course. It's a great range. It's a great facility, but you know, it's got its challenges. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, and we just, we do the best we can, but we, it's hard to promote people to come out there, you, you know? And so I would tell you that, um, if I were going to, if it, if it were me and I were going to build a golf course today, I would build a, a nine hole golf course and a very nice practice facility. And I would make the, the holes relatively, uh, length is not an issue, multiple tees. You could play it 18 holes. Ideally, I'd love to break it down into three hole, you know, um, loops where if I just wanted to come out and play three holes, I could play three holes and I'd be back and I'd be gone, you know, or if I want to play six or nine or 12 or whatever, and, and, um, get away from the stigma that, you know, you have to play 18 holes. And I think, I think the USGA has even adapted a nine hole, uh, rating for their handicap. So I totally 100% agree with you. And I think, um, we got to get away from, like I said, they're not building golf courses much anymore. And the better, the best thing they can do is come out with nine hole facilities that are fun and interactive and, you know, just get people out. You know, I totally agree with that. Yeah, no, I agree completely with you, with you there. That has been something that I've been really passionate about encouraging people to, I myself am not going to be currently building a golf course, but neither am I, but if I, if I knew someone to encourage them, that is what we need more of. I don't know if you've been down to Sweetens Cove. Sure have. I love that it. place. Is awesome. Um, Rob's need, been real great to me. Boy, that's awesome. Yep. I, I don't know know him, um, but I have played his course, and um, it is phenomenal. And if we could have more places like that, I think that just like you were saying, the stigma of having to go play eighteen holes that's kind of a perception that we need to change in the golf world because someone like my age, who's picking up golf for the first time and sits there and looks at it for a Saturday afternoon. It's like, well, that's my whole day. Yeah. I want to go play, but that's my whole day off and I'm going to go play 18 holes and that's literally it. It's going to take me five hours to drive there, play and come back on, on a good good day um may take a little longer on other days but yeah i i mean i it's it's just hard to say i mean i I would love i mean if you got anybody that ever wants to build a golf course or comes across you and says that i mean i think it's a great concept and and it could be something that golf needs especially in our market but every market i mean i i'm I'm like you sweden's coves one my buddy up in um Swanee at at the course at Swanee he takes care of it up there that's another great nine hole golf course I mean they're not they're not easy I mean they're challenging they've got their own challenges both of them do I mean the greens at Sweetens Cove man we could talk a lot about that just what's going on there there's the one part of three that you could hit a lob wedge or a four iron yeah yeah I can't remember 100 yards long I'm I'm sure they'll (laughs) shout out to me if when 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 this thing goes live but I think I want to say that it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about a hundred yards to over two hundred yards. The green is that yeah, that deep. It's crazy. Yeah. We played it. The pin was kind of middle back right, and like there's like two little different inlets there. Yeah, I don't know. I just remember standing on the back edge, looking at the front of the green. And I was like, that that's not a green. That's a fairway size. Yeah. <laughs> It was awesome, though. Yeah, if you hadn't played Sweetens Cove, I would definitely recommend that as something to do, especially if you're in Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee area. Definitely get down there and uh, check that out. Go see Swanee, too. Have you played up there? I have not. I've seen pictures. I definitely Man. want to get out there for sure. Do that. Do, just go. It's. I don't think it's too far apart, but if you make a day of it, go to one and the other, and, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about both of them because they're completely different. But Okay phenomenal phenomenal golf courses yeah so uh where do they where do people find you on um on youtube on youtube it's just my name zach radford z-a-c radford r-a-d-f-o-r-d and then pretty much every other platform just put real in front of it real r-e-a-l zach radford and that honestly when i first started instagram that was kind of my first platform yeah and someone created my Instagram for me and told me to just get started. That's that's a long story, but 
someone was very passionate that I needed to get onto social media several years back. And that was the name that they put on there. They sent yeah. me the password and said, change your password, start posting. And I never changed it. So <laughs> I didn't even come up with my handle. So there's always is. a story behind these things, <laughs> man. So um, as far as the social media goes, is that, I mean, I, I know you touched on it, it takes a bunch of your time and, and what you're doing. Where do you see it going for you? It's like that's, I mean, at some point it's going to, it probably is a full-time job. I mean, do you see yourself having to um, maybe get people that will film for you, put more content? Or are you, are you being like sort of pressured to feel that way? Or is it, are you kind of in limbo right now? I am a little bit in limbo just for the simple fact of wanting to compete. My yep. dream is to be able to give myself a legit shot at, playing in the right events, going to Q school, uh, at least one full calendar year. Yeah. I'd like to do that. However, with social media, I would also like to basically document that entire year. Right. So I would need some help in, in the filming process, the editing process. Um, that would, I'm just trying to figure out exactly the best avenue at going about that. And I'm trying to set those pieces up now right. prior to getting started into competition. So, cause I, I, all the people who have been following along in full support of everything, I would love to share that journey with them. Right. And so my goal is to kind of shoot it, uh, in a way that they feel like they're just right there on the journey with me. Yeah. And so, we're going to share the good, the bad and the ugly, and hopefully there's a lot more good, but, yep. but yeah, I mean, we're going to show all the ups and downs of what it's like to pursue the tour. And that is in the plans as of right now, there are some other doors possibly opening for me to start partnering and shooting some content with some major media platforms, which would probably not be any sort of competition. That would just be uh, content and, and media. And I'm actually excited about either, either path currently. I'm going to work hard at either one, wherever the door is open. And so those are some things that are a bit in limbo at the moment, yeah. but just trying to kind of sort through, make the wisest decisions. And at the same time, I'm still going to be on social media either way. <laughs> It just may look a little different what type of content is is being put out there. Yeah. What do you think about this whole podcasting thing? And, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Have you heard the podcast before? I have not. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to put no, – you're, <laughs> you're definitely going to have to listen to this one for sure. But I, I will. We're going to be the best, biggest um, green industry turf podcast there is. So you, you got on board pretty early. So I love it. <laughs> And it really has been great being on here today, and I, I'm going to be catching up to some of your past podcast here uh, this next week. Got got a little time. Our weather here in Nashville has not been great, so that's going to leave me indoors with a little bit of time to do that. Yeah, what? Um, yeah, I would. <laughs> man, I, I, this weather I, it's got my head all kinds of sideways. But yeah, we've had a ton of rain, and and I, I wish everybody the best out there for staying safe and dealing with whatever they're dealing with. I'm, I'll have my own fair share of it. But um, so what what advice would you give someone like myself or someone trying to start out in the social media? I mean, I've it took me a huge hurdle. I do. I'm active on Twitter, Instagram, and I'm doing this podcast thing. I'm trying. I've I've listened to enough gurus and people saying, hey, you need to do this. You need to put out your own content. And I started out with it. You know, the premise of the, the podcast is really about getting awareness to our industry, the people in our industry, talking about it, um, helping others, um, really don't have a voice. And so I, I centered it around golf in terms of making the turn. And that's really just a simple concept of, you know, you play, you play nine holes, don't matter really what you did, it's done. You can't look at it. You make the turn, you get, you know, your drink, your food, whatever, and you go to the next tee and you just start over again. And that's the concept really is there's things that happen to us in life and whatever and golf and you can, and, and it's sort of relatable to what happens. And there's well, folks, despite our best efforts, we do have technical difficulties. Unfortunately, I was in the middle of a great talk about where we were going with this podcast. So who knows who was looking out for me, but, um, we catch back up with Zach as he was answering a question about 
what to do in social media. I lost a little bit of audio, but uh, overall the podcast is going great. And uh, so we jump back in with Zach answering a question. I asked him about what could people do to grow their influence, um, what are some do's and don'ts. So back to the episode of Making the Turn with Zach Radford, uh, influencer on Instagram and social media, golfer, professional golfer. So here it is. Thanks for listening, guys. Audience is uh, because that can help direct you on the type of content that you're going to be pushing out. And then if you know who you are trying to connect to, then you can post things accordingly. You can be on the right platforms for where your audience would most likely be. So that is one of the biggest things. And I know that seems simple, but there's a lot of people who honestly kind of go about it in a disorganized way, not really knowing who they're, target audience is so that would be the first thing is to nail down who your target audience is then find out what platforms they're most likely on um i i think that there's a place for almost all content on all platforms done right Uh, each platform is done very differently and so you need to post properly to each platform (laughs) don't just repost every single same thing on every single platform because it won't be well received on all the different platforms. So that being said, go into each platform and post it how it needs to be posted on each platform. Yeah. Don't just repost it because people nowadays, they're going to scan right over something that was posted and reposted onto Twitter from Instagram or onto Facebook from Instagram. Although because Instagram and Facebook are, you know, partnered, sure. it does post Instagram a little better to Facebook than other things, but just go onto each individual platform and post it properly. Your audience will greatly appreciate that extra time spent to post it up properly on each platform. So kind of a couple of those little things, just focusing on who exactly your target audience is, and then original content. The more original your content, meaning try to not fall into reposting other people's stuff. Yeah. I know that may sound weird, but if you want to grow an organic platform, it's got to be through original content not repurposing other people's content just to grow your numbers because then there's no personality behind it. Right. People want to follow a personality. They want to follow someone with a direction. And if you're just repurposing other people's content to drive numbers in the end, those aren't the numbers you really want anyways, and you're not going to be that effective. So that's, that's a little bit of my perception on how I'd recommend someone getting started, you know, know your audience, know, each platform and how to post and then um, original content. Which one do you spend the most time on? Or would you say Instagram? Um, Instagram until the last three months and now YouTube. Yeah. YouTube definitely takes a little bit of time to get, to give you an example for me to go shoot one video, edit, upload. Typically takes me about two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes to play nine and shoot it myself. And then I'm not even halfway done with the video. <laughs> and then I got to take it back, edit it, because those are all just raw clips yeah. that I've shot. I've got to cut it together, hopefully do some fun little cuts in there to make it a little more appealing kind of thing. And yep. so. Um, and you're doing all this yourself. I'm doing it all myself, yes. And so it, it can be very time consuming. I would imagine. And then just posting a video up properly on YouTube and, and doing all the little things right will take you another hour, hour and 15. And so. Don't technical I'll, difficulties just drive you insane? They do. They do big time. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is the first podcast I've had any trouble. And I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? It's the rain. It's got to be. I'm blaming it on the rain. It's definitely the rain. <laughs> I mean. Uh, I, do you shoot it all on the iPhone or you got a camera? I actually shoot all my content on the phone. I edit it all on the phone. I upload it all on the phone. I literally do everything on my phone. And so I am currently about to transition to a computer and a camera, but it, it's so 
easy and quick with the phone and it's all in one place and it if you understand lighting and you understand a few things on how to utilize the capabilities of your phone you can get a very high quality picture from your phone if you have one of the newer phones now that which the, one do you use i've got the new x yeah. xs i yeah. think is the the newest one so using just my iphone um i've got tripods mics i've got all all that kind of set up to to help um so you you do need some some external things besides just your phone right to help set it up because i'm not out there just propping up my phone every right. time so i've got some tripods and things like that that's like with this podcast i mean i i researched and tried to figure out what was easy and i'm like this ain't easy i mean it's it's a little bit of work and we don't have much here but i mean it's just a matter of what do you want it to sound like? I mean, we can sit down with a couple of mics in my phone, but I just didn't think that was the, the right thing to do, you know? And, and I agree, man, it's just, it's crazy. I can't believe you do all that yourself. I mean, especially as busy as you gotta be. It, it definitely has been something that when I was down at the show, I had so many clips on my phone and I had shot so much content on my phone. This is when I realized I was like, okay, I can't do this on my phone anymore. <laughs> My phone started crashing on me and started yeah. glitching. And so that, that was something that made me realize when I was down at the PGA show, I've got to kind of make some adjustments. But it, it's been something that I do all my photos on the phone as well uh, and edit on there. And so I, if I didn't know how to do something, I researched it, yep. figured it out kind of like how I learned how to play golf. If I didn't know how to hit a shot, I was going to sit there and figure it out until I could hit that shot. And so, I, you know, trial and error a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's it's a, kind of fun. Hey, that's the fun part about it. <laughs> right. So um, what 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 other questions would you have for me? I mean, we it's already been an hour. I don't know if you realize it's that. It's already been an hour? Yeah. Oh, it's been about 10 minutes. No, it's probably felt like a lot longer than 10 minutes. But so um, – well, I know we didn't talk a lot about golf, turf, and but this has been fun. If you got anything like that's like circling around in your brain about some something you've seen, you know, any little uh, things that have sort of come up that maybe you want to ask somebody you just never been opportunity to, hmm. and it might not be nothing. I don't want to. How frustrating is it at a course when bunkers keep getting washed out as a superintendent? <sighs> How much time you got? <laughs> you know, bunkers, I, I have a love-hate relationship with bunkers. I, I don't, I think they're overplayed. They were overbuilt golf courses. Um, if you ask an architect, and I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth because I don't know, but this is my opinion. But if you ask an architect, bunkers serve probably one of two forms of functionality. They're a target for you to aim at or they're a penalty um, and, you know, in a, on an errant shot. So with that being said, why are they sprinkled everywhere all over the golf course? You know, um, and you, you know, you can see probably golf courses eliminating some doing away with others. Bunker constructions come a long way. Billy, the better Billy bunker system is great. There's, um, capillary concrete. We won't get into all that nonsense, but I mean, there's a lot of golf technology on our side of the business has come a long way. So, um, older bunkers and things like that do wash out more frequently, especially on heavy rains. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, but the short answer to answer your question is very frustrating. It takes a lot of man hours to manage. It takes a lot of time to fix. Um, you're constantly doing it and you know, you really, you'd rather be focused on something else, you know, um, taking care of the greens, doing something to make them better. I mean, a typical golf course will have hundreds of acres, on 18 holes and you know the most precious acreages are you know that three or four acres of greens that you have and and uh, bunkers you know they're just really an afterthought and so um i would say that they're very frustrating to me i don't know how others would answer that question but i would agree that they probably aren't a big fan of taking care of them and almost to a man i would say that they would would rather upgrade their bunkers build them better have them in more strategic locations use them for what their purpose is and get rid of the ones that don't matter you know, so that, that's the long of it. Yeah. Every, every time I see a bunker washed out, I'm just like, oh, I feel awful for the grounds, grounds crew. Cause that, that is 
especially if you're in an area that it does rain fairly often. Yeah. I mean, there's really not much you can do about it unless you completely replace the bunkers and maybe put in some newer technology or newer uh, ways of building the bunkers. That, that's yeah. something you obviously would know about, but it's got to be frustrating. <laughs> it is. I mean, um, the uh, the flooding situation, there's a lot of bunkers that are probably in flooded areas and things that are adjacent to rivers that guys have either taken out or they've, they, they just know that's going to happen. But if you're talking about just a particular bunker on a green side or, you know, fairway, that's not in a real issue. It's just heavy rains. There are, there are better uh, methods that have been developed for main and better sand, you know, choices. And um, some courses afford to do that and some don't, but I would say that most of them, most any guys you talk to would, would rather upgrade their bunkers and then get rid of the ones that don't matter. And, or that may cause them problems or whatever, because like I said, it's just a, it's a, I mean, you start putting the dollars and cents to it, it, it adds up. And from a course budget, when money's tight and everything's trying to be worked into a small window, it, um, you know, it's very frustrating to have to work on bunkers, no doubt. Well, man, I can't say enough. I appreciate it. Uh, tell everybody again where, you, where they can find you and uh, we'll push the heck out of this and I'll hope that you'll listen. And, um, and uh, so, Tell everybody where I can find you and hope they go out there and watch those stinger videos and enjoy your content. And uh, I know I have, so um, give them a shout out. Yeah, well, again, I really appreciate you having me, having me on today. Uh, it's been, been great. So you can find me on YouTube, just Zach Radford, Z-A-C Radford, R-A-D-F-O-R-D. And then pretty much all my other platforms just add real in front. So R-E-A-L. Zach Radford. That's going to be my handle on pretty much every other platform. Cool, man. We'll go out, follow this guy. He's doing some amazing things. We're going to watch his pursuit uh, towards the uh, PGA Tour. Best of luck in that pursuit and endeavor. Uh, anything I can do for you, I hope we get to do this again. I, I would love to follow up with you when, when um, you know, you go through that journey. I'll watch all your um, videos and see how that's going. And, um, Maybe we'll get your buddy on. Uh, we'll do a like a combo thing or something. Awesome. I, I love his videos too. With the, he's bouncing stuff off everything. I don't know where he came up with that. I, we didn't get to talk of that, but I don't want to get into that. That'll be a, for another day. But go out and follow Zach. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. And uh, until next time, this is Making the Turn. I'm your host, BJ Parker. Talk to you soon.